Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and inviting you to listen to our latest podcast, number 928, with author Hamish Thompson about his new book entitled, It's Not Always Right to Be Right and Other Hard-Won Leadership Lessons. This podcast, number 928, is brought to you by Shannon Sesco, author of a new book entitled, Metronomics, One United System to Grow Up Your Team, Company, and Life. If you'd like to learn more about Shannon Sesco, her programs, events, and her new book, please visit her website at www.metronomeunited.com. That's www.metronomeunited.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my engaging interview with author Hamish Thompson about his new book entitled, It's Not Always Right to Be Right and Other Hard-Won Leadership Lessons. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of uh, Inside Personal Growth. And I have Hamish Thompson on the line from Sydney, Australia, long way away, 6 a.m. his time, currently one o'clock our time here in good old sunny San Diego today. Uh, we are going to be speaking about his new book, it's not always right to be right. Another hard-won leadership lessons. Good day to you, Hamish. How are you? Hello, Greg. Delighted to be with you. I'm glad you're awake enough to do this podcast. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm quite lucky, actually. Normally, this side of the world, and uh, I do a lot with the US and Europe, uh, normally I get stung in the middle of the night. So thank you very much to you and your audience. I appreciate you for being on, and I appreciate who you are and what you all the effort you went to to get the critiques at the back of this in each of these chapters from all of these people, plus the lessons that you articulated in the book. Uh, for all of my leaders who listen, because most of them are leaders, CEOs, CFOs, uh, uh, HR directors, middle management, you will want to, and we'll have a link, uh, not only get the book, but go to his website, and his website is pretty easy. It's Hamish, H-A-M-I-S-H-R, don't forget the R, T-H-O-M-S-O-N, forget the H, because most people want to put an H in that. And I'm going to let him know a little bit about you. He's a New Zealander from birth. Uh, he's a seasoned global leader, executive in 30-year career. He's been a successful CEO and regional president and regional brand head for Mars. So, but Mars pet food, I found out. Not those big Mars candy bars you guys like to eat. From UK, Australia, and Chicago, a senior marketing and sales lead for Reebok International, England, and Netherlands, and fresh-faced account executive in the London advertising scene, board of director and leader, author, a keynote speaker, startup advisor, and consultant, and he currently resides, as he said, in Sydney, but he will be traveling to the States here quite a bit. And he resides there with his wife and three children. And he's got a beautiful website. Go there to learn more about him, the models, consultation, uh, what Hamish can do for you. Well, look, you would think that the book just by itself is a pretty good indicator of what the book is about. Um, but let's face it. We all run into leaders. We had one. A year ago, Donald Trump, there couldn't have been one president ever in a country that he was always right. No one was ever wrong. 
it was always the Donald way or the highway. Uh, we currently have leaders in Russia who he thinks he's right, everything that he does. And then we have an example of a, a leader, Zelensky, in Ukraine right now, who really is a trust and inspire leader, not a command and control leader. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm glad we're going to see the breakdown of all these systems that have been revolving around command and control and move into what I would call an enlightened era of leaders. And Hamish, you mentioned in the introduction that life is damn hard at the best of times, particularly in the cut and thrust of the corporate world, right? And that's a pretty good uh, description of it. Whether you're just starting out or you're a battle-hardened global leader, the demands of business are relentless. I get it. Uh, tell us a little about you and what you've learned generally from all the contributing authors who critiqued you at the end of each of these chapters in your book, because it's fascinating how you went about it. You told these great stories, you put it all together, then you asked all these people to critique you, and then they write a critique at the end. I've never actually read a book like that. I suppose, Greg, some people would say I'm a little bit lazy actually getting others to uh, to do that contribution. I'm a, uh, I'm a type of individual. I love challenge um, and I love to think of different directions and different thought processes and thought leadership uh, versus my own. And I've always sort of thought great leaders, they value the opinions of others ahead of themselves. So I love that idea. I think there's about 17 chapters within it. I'm your typical sort of egocentric CEO. Um, I did actually look after the uh, confection side on the uh, on the Mars front as well, so I'm a little bit guilty of that. Oh well, you, it talked about the pet food division, so I was just. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've okay. covered all, covered all that. So, so I do have very sort of firm opinions and views on things, but. I decided I got uh, experts within different fields, so from different sort of CEOs and global presidents, consultants, lawyers, uh, advocate groups, etc. And I just got them to challenge my thoughts and my views uh, on each of these leadership topics. Um, I think it adds value to the book. It definitely adds perspective. I'm insanely curious on that front. Uh, and again, I think it just challenges some of that sort of thought process as well. I remember once I was told by a chap called Samson Suen, who's a, an Asia Pacific boss that I had uh, many years ago. And he said, Hamish, your mind works like a parachute, best when open. And uh, I just thought that was really sort of apt. It, uh, it opened up sort of that whole new perspective. So I'm actually a New Zealander, Greg. Um, most of my life sort of working life crossing Europe, a fair bit within the US. Um, and I think you have an insatiable curiosity when you're within a smaller town and sort of looking out and that breadth and everything in my career to date. Um, it wasn't planned, but uh, it's all been fun. It's been different. You know, even this world of PE and a lot of the startups I'm dealing with at the moment, um, it's just opened my eyes. So it has been a good journey, um, and I'm sure it will continue. Hey, look, what's best for us lies in front of us. Um, now, you tell a story about getting hired by Mars Pet Care Division. You actually even describe the office as being pretty palatious because you didn't ever think that the offices in your part of the world would be that palatious but how big they were, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you correlate the story about law, logic, and relationship 
with Ivan Pavlov. It's Pavlov's dog. Ring the bell. Bing, bing. Come over. Get your, you know, your treat. Can you tell us the story and some of the steps in mastering relationships? Because, hey, look, we've all trained animals and a lot of people get trained the same way. Um, You know, you get a reward if you do these things. And I know this from from the best of the best because uh, I was always a sales leader and then went into business entrepreneur And it was always about your ego drive. If we can satisfy that ego drive, we'll give you another trip to Australia. We'll give you a trip here. We'll send you to Disney World. We'll give you a bonus. We'll do all these external things, which never were intrinsically what I wanted. But and I was never satisfied afterwards. Right. So uh, I'd love to speak to you about the Pavlov concept in mastering relationships. Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's an interesting one. And um, I've been very fortunate, I think, sort of particularly within Reebok and Mars. Um, I've always had exceptional leaders uh, around there. And I think they've inspired the right way to do things. In this particular sense, when uh, when I first joined within Mars uh, Inc., and it was um there was a certain chap who was the head of uh, research and development. And I went in thinking it would be a very, this is the interview stage, and it was going to be a very scientific and very functional and technical discussion. So being the eager sort of young person I was, I think I was going for the marketing head at the time. Um, I was sort of prepared on that side. He opened up and he said, hey, Mish, you've spent a fair bit around the world in different parts within uh, obviously Asia, Pacific, Europe, and the US. He said, give me your ranking between relationships, law, and logic, where they sit with each of those markets and those regions. And I must admit it threw me, and I tried to do the intellectually sort of answer and started to go into a bit of logic around where it is in regard to the current political leaders or environments, or if you're French, it's slightly different from being, you know, from Seattle, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and his, his whole point behind us, which um, great leaders make in regard to the point, it doesn't matter where you are, relationships will always trump logic and law. And it took me a little bit while to realize that, but the amount of times you see amazing, innovative, creative, technical solutions from brilliant people, they generally are half leveraged and they generally don't get off the ground unless they develop relationships and have integrators and connectors that take it wider. and. It was just a, it was a really sort of key lesson on that, that I mm-hmm. hadn't taken seriously. And I think most young leaders, when you start, you think it's all around technical and functional development. And the very first element, Greg, that I'd say is start believing in the importance of relationships, but dedicate most of your time to leadership development as opposed to functional development. And normally that only happens when you start to get a little bit more senior. So I think that's very key. The other sort of good tips and everything that I sort of follow and I outline within the book, if you're a leader of others, start placing your best integrators and connectors and your relationship people on key projects, even if functionally they know bugger all about the topic. Now, that's different from what I used to actually do, but those people who can actually inspire and garner groups and alignment and cohesion behind things are massively under-leveraged and undervalued. 
And then I think the other one's just for most of us at the moment. I always try and start off my relationships with a thing, concept, what I call day one trust. So I give people immediate trust as opposed to having to earn that trust. Now, sometimes you can get stung on that, but intuition generally, you know, will see you actually have those relationships. But the beauty of day one trust, it's speed of relationships. And when you have that, that's when your breakthrough can actually take place. The standard stuff like start with personal first, business later, I think that's very key. And we all actually get that uh, in, in our own right. But it is something that took me probably too long to appreciate. Uh, relationships definitely ahead of law and logic. So true what you say. And my last podcast uh, prior to this one uh, was Stephen M. R. Covey on Trust and Inspire. And, you know, he's the one who's probably written more about trust than anybody. And where it's going now is what a leader has to do to change the culture to a trust and inspire culture versus command and control. And um, I love what you said, because I'd say probably my whole life, uh, I come from a Jewish mother and a Christian father. But when your mom's Jewish, you're Jewish, and I'm a maven. And if anybody out there listening understands what a maven is, I've probably been the best maven my whole life, which maven is a connector. It's a person that connects other people without any restitution. Just I think you ought to do that. And most of my week is now spent connecting people with other people. Uh, and then seeing the blossoming of the relationships because we're all interconnected. And I think that's so important. Um, you, you have a chapter that you entitled Drains and Radiators, and you quote Ralph Waldo Emerson. People do not seem to realize that their opinions of the world is also a confession of their character. You mentioned that you use the Drains and Radiators story frequently. Can you tell the listeners the story and the lessons that you've learned from the 30% rule? I think it's a, it's a reasonably easy concept to understand. So the story itself is, um, I'll, I'll talk around that, but probably let me step back a little bit and just talk drains and radiators. So a drain is, uh, is essentially what it says. And, um, we all have drain moments. You've all got drain friends. They could be sort of family members as well. But as people who see things uh, definitely in regard to a pessimistic style, they have many limiting beliefs. They uh, they suck energy from a room, and it's definitely not a can-do attitude. Um, and it's okay to have drained moments. We all get that. But I always used to say, Greg, there's nothing worse as a leader by having drains around you within an organization. But I step back on that there is actually a lot worse. It's having a drain within your organization who infects the wider uh, base of employees. And it just spreads like wildfire. A radiator does exactly what it says, can do attitude, positive, very results oriented and driven, um, and just enlightens energy throughout uh, throughout the room. And the story, everyone, different, uh, everyone has different claims within this, but uh, it was a large global advertising agency and essentially the founder and CEO stood at the top of the stairs within his palatial surroundings, pulled everyone together, 
and basically said, hey, uh, I love radiators. If you're a radiator, you'll go far within the business. If you're a drain, you can bugger off and you can bugger off now. And he said a little bit more with colourful language, um, but I think the principles behind it are absolutely true. Now, I always used to, from a leadership perspective, um, again, I would probably hire a lot of very intellectually clever people, technically very sound, um, but I didn't really think around their impact on the rest of the business. I've now got a hiring philosophy that I call C plus W is greater than E. Curiosity and willingness, and I put willingness with passion, is greater than experience. And when you get those people who are incredibly curious, incredibly passionate, um, my God, they're infectious right across the business. Uh, I now focus on getting the right people in as opposed to the technically most gifted within there. I'll put hiring radiators and advancing, recognizing, rewarding radiators way ahead of any engagement survey, Gallup process and everything, even though they're invaluable, they are not as good as getting those right people within the organization. Um, and I think the other one is uh, on that, as I said before, is when you get the right people in, really give them key stretching assignments and they will be the ones that will actually radiate energy throughout. That concept, Greg, the 30% rule, uh, essentially what it is is I always take, and I do this probably in different divisions or a region or a country or a brand, um, I give them a 30% stretch target, and that's a hypothetical number, but it's a target that is so ambitious that the only way you can achieve it is by doing something completely different, normally through external contact. And it's a great way to test who's a radiator and who's a drain. Those radiators, they thrive on it, they love it, they look for opportunity, can-do attitude. Uh, the drains, they'll put an immediate limiting belief up there. So uh, I uh, I think it's probably my number one element in regard to people at the moment, uh, look for radiators. Well, I know this sounds old-fashioned, but they've always said, hire for attitude, train for skill. I know it sounds very simplistic, but the reality is, is that you know, you can go back to the day because we're not the same age, but maybe closer than some. You know, Zig Ziglar used to say, famous salesperson, sales trainer, you know, it's not your aptitude that determines your altitude, it's your attitude. And I can always remember that from Zig. And, and I would think to myself, Man, it really is your attitude that determines your altitude and your aptitude comes second. And I think that's exactly what you're saying. Um, and, and I love it because it is true. Now, you state in so many occasions, our partners or our friends are the driving force behind our success and importantly, our own self-awareness. Um, those who know us tend to notice behavioral changes way before we do. If you would speak with us about your coach, Jack Jeffries. You had a coach. I think he was from Atlanta. Is that true? Uh, Colorado. 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 And how he worked with you to transform you personally. Because he, I'm going to say this, it's my show. He called you out on your shit. 
and you were hiding behind all kinds of crap. But Jack wouldn't have any of it. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that story. I always think it's fun to see how a CEO evolves into a CEO through a good coach like Jack. Um, your very best coaches are those ones who can have crucial conversations with you. And uh, it's the same with partners or family or friends. You listen to them more than you listen to anyone else. And I've got this uh, things which are the 98% concept. And you get a lot of feedback. Within a multinational, you get so much feedback. And 98% of it, just let it go over your shoulder. It's, uh, it doesn't mean it's wrong, but it's only really the 2% that resonates. And these good coaches like Jack cut through. And I remember having this uh, conversation, and Jack used to be at uh, CCO in Colorado. Uh, he's out on his own now. And basically the element was, Jack, I'm not really enjoying myself. I'm sort of struggling. Is this leadership material really me? Is it uh, is a little bit sort of too, um, not high pressure, but am I really enjoying it? And he said to me, Hamish, you can change your attitude in a nanosecond. And in this particular case, you either change what you do or you change your attitude. And if it's the latter, you do it immediately. And he was so right. It was basically you do have a choice and you always have a choice. Some people have more privileged opportunities and it's easier for them to make. Um, but others, and in this particular case, it was I do something different or change the attitude. And <clears throat> I like this element of the instant and instantaneous nature of being able to actually change an attitude so quickly. So it's really sort of key. And I think that's I think that's very pertinent across when you go throughout your career, those people who genuinely care for you and start from a position of care, they're the ones who can point out when you're starting to lose your true authentic self. Um, so having those key people to be able to have those conversations with you is absolutely key. And then equally, knowing yourself, what are those key trigger points that set you off? I'm a very impatient person. I'm incredibly results-oriented. I'm what be driven, what new and fast. But when I start to find myself losing my authentic self, my first uh, signal that comes out, I'm incredibly impatient with others. As opposed to trying and give them more freedom and autonomy, I jump in and I'll try and do it myself. As opposed to coaching and supporting, I'll start directing. So it was a really, uh, it was a good lesson from Jack. Not not um, always right yeah. to be right. Oh, <laughs> it's so spot on. That's it's, the, uh, the book. That's all. <laughs> that's the <laughs> whole agree. thing. Yeah. Well, look, awareness is a hundred percent of the issue, and as soon as you become awareness, you have a aware, you have a choice. The other thing is, there's this constant. Uh, dynamic between the ego and the soul, the conscious and the subconscious. And what people don't really realize is when you can bring the two in balance and you can work with your subconscious mind, your subconscious mind works while you're sleeping, it programs, and it has the ability to manifest anything in your life that you want. Whereas the conscious mind and the ego is the one that's limiting. It's trying to protect you. And it's saying, hey, Hamish, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. Because all I want you to do is survive. Now, the mammalian brain, which we evolved from, 
understands the ego side greater than it does this this basically subconscious soul side. So when you get that and you follow that formula, you literally break open all new avenues and terrain to move to. Now, you state that when you took your new job, that you were way too serious. I can see that. I can still see that. And everyone in your life took a back seat, including the attention to your health. You were saying you gained weight. You weren't doing what you were originally supposed to do. You tell our listeners about the five-step process to smiling again. That's what we're just talking about, to smiling again. And what happens to you when you become aware of your shortfalls? And here's the other thing. And become aware of how alive you can be and how creative you can be when you realize that you allow that ego to do that to you. Because that's exactly what happens. I I like that you talk around that self-awareness, Greg. And um, I've always sort of had a view that's, you know, these Johari windows and things. Everyone's got blind spots. But when people call out a blind spot and you become aware of it, Self-awareness is one thing that you have to self-develop and you have a responsibility to self-develop. This uh, particular instance, I was uh, I was probably around 27. I was setting up a European marketing uh, comms for Reebok. So it was a great job and I was based in uh, Amsterdam. And if you can't enjoy yourself in Amsterdam, where the hell can you enjoy yourself? And I had a friend, uh, it was one evening around at a, uh, a restaurant or a bar and a friend came along and he introduced me to his fiance and he said, Pam, uh, I'd like you to meet Hamish, the man who used to smile. And it was a very simple thing that he said, but it really got to me. And I pulled him aside and I said, what the hell do you mean, mate? You're the man who used to smile. And he said, for the last few months, you've taken on this new role and you've just become serious. You've lost yourself within that. And I've always, uh, I've been a serious guy, but I'm also reasonably sort of chilled out and I have a very good balance of things. And I've always believed if you have excellence in life, you have excellence of business. And if I get the first bit wrong, I'm never going to meet my best. And I'm, I'm a massive believer in that as well as, you know, there's no point in having two sides for someone. You've got to be 100% the same as who you are at work as you are at home. It just uh, brings out the best of them. But uh, this was a real sort of wake-up call on that, and it's uh, it made me sort of think back. And those steps, and I won't go through sort of each of them, it is definitely find out who those trusted people are. You know your own signals di- directly um, and actually have regular check-in points along the way to see have you got that balance. And as I said, that other one on it, which is really key, don't try and be somebody else that you're not. And that's particularly important for new starters. And I've got a different approach on this. A new graduate, a new intern or a new starter, a lot of people talk around your first 90 days, just sort of settle in and don't give sort of too much input, observe. My view is, one, never get into prove mode. Um, You've already got the job. You've done the hard uh, work on that. But from day one, give your input and give your thoughts. Um, That's the perspective, the fresh eyes coming in. And normally, that's the most invaluable um, perspective and thought that comes in. And I've always had a thing, Greg, that I've um, I've written down um, just before I even start in a new role or a country, all my hypotheses of what I would do 
what I think is right within the business. And eight times out of 10, when you look back, you normally get that first intuition right. So uh, it was a pretty key lesson. I've fallen into it uh, a couple of times, taking things too seriously, um, but you're never at your best when you do. Well, I think the Buddhists have a statement, and because this show covers all philosophies, um, when you're attached to the outcome of anything, it doesn't mean that we don't have goals. doesn't mean we don't have aspirations. doesn't mean we don't have intentions. But the best laid plans don't always work out the way you think they're going to work out. And if you're attached to the way you think the plan's going to work, just see how God brings that together for you. And then you'll see that it's not always that way. Um, and, and I say that because, you know, you, you have to have uh, a, a degree of flexibility about you. A degree of curiosity along with that flexibility allows for great outcomes. Now, that expect, you know, getting attached to that expectation is a mindset that's fixed, right? But you need to be in flux, not in fix. And if you're in flux and you know how to handle flux, you literally get the outcome, but not always exactly how you expected to get there. Now, you have a personal hero, Richie McCaw, the legend coach of the All Blacks. I saw his picture in your book. I know all about the All Blacks because I was going to buy a T-shirt when I was in New Zealand. And then, you know, I looked at the price and I was like, holy criminy. He went like $100 for a T-shirt. You state that uh, humility in spades, values through the roof and a lead by example, work ethic that is yet to be matched. Please speak with us about this distinction between, I just said it, results and awards. You know what? He got not to be tied to expectations of the outcome, not to be tied to the outcome. And that's why he was such a damn good coach. Um, there's an element on it. He's, uh, you know, he was probably one of the the best. He was uh, a captain of the All Blacks, two World Cup winning uh, elements, and he's a he's an absolute superstar. And there's a great Maori proverb uh, within there that says the kumara, which is the sweet potato, doesn't have to say how sweet it is. And I love that because he's a person that just steps back and has that humility. Um, very charismatic, but he's respected and he's also liked as a leader. And I think that's a key difference on that. And I was once uh, sort of told very clearly that when you're respected, people follow you. But when you're respected and liked, they'll walk over coals for you. And an exceptional leader will walk over coals for their people. And there's a little bit of a difference on that. And that's sort of key to it. The awards and uh, and results front, I learned that within London advertising. The creative head took me out over a boozy lunch and uh, he said, in a bit of tongue in cheek, he said, results are nice, but awards matter. And, you know, for any of those in traditional blue chip companies, you know, that's sacrilege to actually say. Um, but I started thinking around it and, you know, I've been very lucky and fortunate in regard to my career of having some great results, but 
results, revenue, profit, cash sort of targets and things, people get excited behind them, but it's only really meaningful rewards that you get a euphoric nature. And if I start thinking around that, even small things like an associate of the year, a sustainability award, a number one customer, a gold uh, lion statue from you know, Khan's advertising awards, people take those and it actually means something. Those are the things you talk around at the dinner party and a barbecue with the family. You don't talk around meeting a 3% net sales revenue target every year. And I just really sort of like that concept. And the more senior you go, you try and convince yourself that, no, it's all results and awards don't matter. Now, don't get me wrong. They're not mutually exclusive. I know that. But those leading indicators will lead to results. And having that balance in there, I think, is absolutely key. And Richie McCall just always had that. He always said, I don't worry about the end result. It's around the training and what I do every single day and those leading indicators that will lead to the end result. And as a result, he uh, pulled off some amazing awards as well. So, um, yeah, I have got a little bit of uh, that typical man crush within that, uh, but I think my wife's got the same one on them as well. So uh, I'll accept that one. Well, you know, intrinsic is sustainable. Extrinsic is not sustainable. So anything that evolves as a result of a value that you uphold, something you're going for, a purpose, an intention, um, regardless of the award, the award is the feeling that you're receiving inside as a result of doing something good for other people, whether it's philanthropic or it's helping an old lady across the street. It doesn't matter what it is. It's doing good for other people, period. You, you started this show off with relationships. Relationships are just the people that you make connections with. And in your chapter, it's not always right to be right. Your book, it's not always right to be right. You quote uh, Gore Vidal, who said, I told you so. And there was a longer statement in the book than that. But it, it basically said, I told you so. And how many people have said, I told you so, after the fact? Uh, we've all known leaders like that to be right. And they're not very good listeners. Um, speak with us about the framework of a compromise and hope and inclusion. You know, as a leader at Mars, I'm sure Mars wanted their leaders to look for compromise and they wanted to provide, you wanted to provide the rest of the people that work with you with hope and you wanted to hear them. You wanted to include them, you know? And I think today it gets brushed over way too easily that people, you know, look, I'm a podcaster, 900 podcasts. You can't do this many podcasts and not become a good listener. Okay. But so many people, are waiting to respond and are not truly listening deeply with heart-centered listening. Where's the pain? How can I help them through the pain? So what would you say about that? And I would say it's a very much a cliche, but that sort of statement, just thinking around it, of um, seek to understand before being understood. 
Um, it is key on that. And from a leader's perspective, I've outlined this a little bit, but um, you step back. You're the last one to actually speak within a meeting. And um, if you don't have to speak, you don't have to speak. If it's not your idea or your concept, uh, your breakthrough or transformation, it doesn't matter at all. If you've unlocked potential within others, it's a really cool feeling. But you have to have inner confidence to actually do that. And this, uh, I love that uh, Gore Vidal statement. He said, what was it? They said, uh, the four most important words in the in the world, I told you so. And it's uh, the arrogance sort of of it, but uh, that's typical sort of egocentric sort of CEO. And I sort of outlined, Greg, my experience, and I think this is probably quite similar. You're almost ingrained from day one to believing to be an effective leader, you have to be right. And I used to, every dialogue, discussion, debate I'd have with someone, there'd always be a winner and a loser. I was actually okay at it. I generally came out on top, but it was very one-off and transactional in, in, uh, in nature. And when you started to sort of sit back, you started to reflect it was very limiting. One, your perspective and your diversity of thought was incredibly silo and narrow-minded because if you already knew, you're, you're not listening. As you said, you're not opening up your mind to others. Secondly, I started to notice that my biggest breakthroughs and transformation and results came from not one-off relationships with people, but stage two and stage three, when there was a depth and a real quality of relationship. Now, when you're always right, you're not going to have a stage two and stage three relationship. You know that within partnerships at home, if you're consistently right, you're not going to be able to have those deep and meaningful conversations that will lead to breakthrough. And then probably the last one that really jumped out to me. You know what? Just, I, I started yeah. for interrupting, but I'm trying to remember the guy that wrote the book, Men Are From Mars, Women's Are From Venus. Um, he was on the show, but he said, and you love this statement, you probably heard it. Would you rather be right or would you rather be in love? <laughs> it's nice, isn't it? Well, it's nice because whether you're female or you're male or however you're working, you know, in a relationship or you're, or you're uh, lesbians or you're, uh, you know, you're gay, that statement goes across the board with whoever is your lover, you know? And yeah. for people who are always trying to be right, it's a constant challenge versus giving that up. And you really find that it's not that important to be right. It really isn't, especially if you want to have love, because all you create in a relationship when you try and always be right is fear. You know, uh, it's interesting on that. I think within lockdown, I've probably been told more than in a dozen years of being a CEO about dad or Hamish, it's not always right to be right. So it is just as pertinent within there. And I think the other thing is, Greg, that when you are right, you limit unlocking potential within others. So if your teams or those around you, they don't challenge you, they don't provoke you, they won't have a debate or a dialogue with you because they know they'll always lose. And then they sit back and it's just inertia and they don't put in their input, which is, you know, great leaders. And I think exceptional um, partners and parents, 
you don't want inertia within uh, that you want people to actually shine and develop as well. So I think it is uh, it is really sort of, you know, it's, it's key on that. And as a leader's job, as I said, definitely seek to understand, um, give your input last, um, start thinking around what are those battles that are just not worth going in if it is going to compromise a relationship. And a lot of people think uh, compromising is limited, but if you think around the longer-term gain, that depth and trust of a relationship that you can build, you actually measure the results of a transaction one-on-one a lot differently. You'll look at it on a longer-term basis, that depth, where it actually leads to breakthrough as well. The only time that I always think it's appropriate to say, yes, definitively, I am going to be right within this, if a topic actually crosses your value line, then I think it can't actually be compromised and you have to sort of almost a no debate, no excuse mentality. But apart from that, I think uh, everything is open. And that's where Mars Inc., in which I think is still an amazing company, um, they have this concept about a principle called mutuality and it's long-term enduring win-win with partnerships and suppliers. And a lot of companies do that, but uh, those who live it every day, I think are those ones who are generationally relevant as well. Yeah, I had a gentleman on the show the other day and uh, he has his own company now, but he used to work directly underneath Steve Jobs and he's bald. And he said to me, and I don't think jokingly, he said, the reason I'm bald is because I work directly for Steve Jobs. I don't have this hair. And he said, three years I worked underneath him. And the expectations were so high. And the stress was so high, you know. And Steve Jobs used to say, when you entered the room, the development room with the developers. Now, a lot of people didn't know this, but they knew he had a big ego. And they knew he was very tough to work for, right? So everything's been written about him. But when he got behind closed doors, he said, everybody drop your egos because we need the collective power of the thought from everybody in this room to solve this problem. It's not just me. I'm not going to be the only one solving the problem. And I think that's an interesting thing. On the outside, when you weren't in those think tanks, he was pretty tough. Inside the think tanks, he was able to let go of that ego and let everybody express themselves and come alive. Now, you state that you've always marveled at outstanding marketing, the ability of brands to consistently reinvent themselves and remain generationally relevant is an art form to behold. You speak with our listeners about the three steps to becoming exceptional. Now, this brand can be self-brand. It can be great voice and inside personal growth. That's a brand, right? Also speak with us about our own personal leadership brand. Yeah, it's um, listen. I've, as I said, I started out in London as a uh, as a very average and pretty crappy copywriter. And uh, fortunately for the uh, British public and viewing public, I was moved on to account management pretty quickly. Um, but I learned very quickly through you know a number of uh, years and global sort of marketing head sort of roles. Um, the best form of advertising comes in three words. You'd noticed, remembered, and understood. 
And it's in those three elements, um, and they're in that order, actually. One, you've got to be noticed. You have to actually break through to begin with, and digital format is obviously critical now. So your 30 seconds turns into two or three. You have to have instant recognition on that. Remembered is obviously getting associated with your brand, uh, your distinctive assets as signature processes, and understood is just your consistency. So fairly basic format. Um, but what I've actually lacked over the years is how do you take that brand format and place it within a leadership uh, leadership development or a leadership brand? And there are bugger all formats and templates to actually do that. So <clears throat> I've probably done this for the last maybe 15 years, use the same branding format, but create leadership templates for people to actually follow. So what is your leadership uh, capabilities and competencies? What are you incredibly gifted at? Functionally, what is that? Um, where do you derive your energy from? Likewise, what sucks you dry within your energy? And the overall premise behind it, Greg, is when you are working on something that you're incredibly talented at, but equally you're incredibly passionate at and it meets your values, it's a marriage made in heaven. And over time, when you can be a little bit more selfish, you want to be working on all those things you're passionate around and you're talented at. And how do you surround yourself with other people who can pick up that slack? Nobody can be good at anything, even a general manager and a generalist. Um, but it's a really key way of actually putting your branding strength across. And it is quite liberating because you're actually passionate around what you do and it's quite easy to actually do that. So that's the concept behind it. Um, I'm yet to see even from uh, the Baines, McKinsey's, BCG's of the world, um, I'm yet to see a leadership brand template um, that actually works and is as effective for people. Mm. You know, we live in a world that uh, seems to be very sped up sped up, meaning fast. Uh, you even mentioned you have to have it within the first two seconds, not the first two minutes. And you know, I'm going to put a plug in for a gal who works on personal brands, who's been on the show several times, Dory Clark. Um, Dory Clark is exceptional because, you know, when you look at how our world is today and how we are using the internet to interface with other individuals, and the speed at which this is being done in the interconnectivity amongst all our relationships, we, we literally have to get that right. And hopefully we get it right the first time. Um, and I would say to anybody out there, you know, go look at people who work with people who use the internet as their mechanism to connect. And that's everybody where we're all doing that today. Um, and it, and it, there is a strategy and a tactic to it. Don't get so tied into that. Get tied into being the best you can be and then let somebody help you do all the rest of the stuff. Now, this book, we, you and I could probably talk forever here, but I'm going to tell my listeners, go out. We're going to put a link. It's not always right to be right. Go to his website. We'll put a link to the website as well. And I'm going to wrap our interview up with this. The book is loaded with valuable advice from being humble to learning from your experience. What three takeaways would you like to leave the listeners with 
from it's not always right to be right that they could apply in their life as a leader, as an individual, just walking away from this podcast and saying, hey, Hamish was great. This is a great book. And I learned three things. <clears throat> Listen, how, uh, how revolutionary they are, I don't know, but I think the very practical ones are probably the best. So the first one I'd say, just consciously put leadership development ahead of functional development and do it in an early stage. You can't do one without the other, but really try and do that, I think, as early as possible. Um, the second one, and I think this is within a lesson within life, just put others ahead of yourself, value them, their opinions. It'll come back to you. It always does in regard to the benefits uh, benefits on that side. And then the third one, which is probably what we just talked around, Greg, um, do what you love, right? It's so much easier. Life becomes more enjoyable and your results will actually flow on it. And then even though you haven't asked for it, I'll give you my one Famous quote, which I absolutely love. It's all times uh, a little bit cheesy from Mario Andretti, but it's if you're in control, you're not driving fast enough. And I love that. There's enough clever cookies around you who will put you back on the track at all, but give it a nudge. Uh, life's too short otherwise. So true. Um, I'm I'm doing a book now with a mountain climber who's climbed all the highest seven summits, and I have the blessing to interview these gentlemen who have climbed Everest 15 times or done the face of El Capitan without ropes. And every extreme athlete will tell you, and I found out from this interview, you say, well, what's the recurring theme? And exactly what Mario Andretti just said in your comment was, you're not living, you're not living unless you're facing death. And the interesting thing there is, is that many of them are extremely alive on the mountain. And the reason they get so addicted to doing more and more mountain climbs, extreme mountain climbs, is because that's what fulfills them, is to really push that limit. And like you just said, Mario Andretti said, push the limit, because someone else will put you in back into control. So do what Hamish said, push the limit a little bit. Hamish, wonderful having you on Inside Personal Growth, taking a minute to speak with my listeners. I so value you, the work you're doing. Uh, go to his website. Again, I will repeat it. It's Hamish, H-A-M-I-S-H-R-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N.com. Uh, we'll have a link to Amazon to get the book. This is a Wiley book. It's wonderfully done, wonderfully laid out, wonderfully designed, easy read, not hard. Got a lot of great uh, kind of, I want to say, charts in it, you know, things that you can just pick up on the pages and you can see a whole concept uh, visually on there. So wonderful job in the design and layout of your book. I know what it takes to create a book. I've done a couple of myself, so I know it's challenging, but you did an excellent job. Thank you, Greg. Great to be here. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.